Hello HR podcastees. This is Simon Gear from Alexander Lloyd's HR recruitment team, bringing you episode five of Talk HR UK. Today I am once again in a very rainy Sussex countryside, walking uphill, so apologies in advance for the heavy breathing. Um, today is FA Cup final day. It's also the end of uh, Mental Health and Wellbeing Week, which has this year encouraged everyone to get out there into nature. So uh, Vespa, the HR podcast dog and I are doing that today and it is lovely, although a bit wet and we haven't come prepared. So please do have sympathy. Anyway, onwards, episode five. Today I talked to James Hubbard, a lovely chap who I've known an awfully long time. He's the EMEA talent acquisition leader at Kimberly Clark. Um, I've known James for about 20 years now. He was uh, my contact at AIG Insurance in recruitment all those years ago. He went across to partnership. He's worked for Mercer Marsh McLennan Operating Company and now at Kimberly Clark for some years. And over the last year, we, in our conversations, we decided we could collaborate on a podcast focusing on diversity and inclusion from a talent acquisition perspective. So we really wanted to touch on how we can encourage hiring managers to embrace diversity and uh, embrace culture change and move away from typical candidate pools that they generally uh, are comfortable with. So I hope you enjoy today's podcast and I will catch up with you at the other end. Many thanks. Hello everyone. Welcome to Talk HR UK with me, Simon Gear. Today's guest on the podcast is the remarkably pleasant James Hubbard. Hello, James. Hi, Simon. You're too kind already. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. Um, lovely to meet James. I've known James an awfully long time. Uh, James is currently the EMEA Talent Acquisition Lead at well-known FMCG global business, Kimberly Clark. Um, previously, oh, I have to cast my mind back now, James. I remember meeting you at AIG. We've got Partnership. We've got Mercer within there. I don't know if that's the full set. Yeah, uh, Marshall McLennan, which, of, of which Mercer is a part. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Previously, a lot of insurance and financial services, um, and yeah, for, for the last three years here at, at KC in the FMCG business. Excellent. So James and I, we've known each other a long time, and, and across the last year in our conversations, we agreed it would be great to record a podcast together, and, and something that James had a, a, you know, a strong opinions about and a lot to say and some great experience in the area of is diversity inclusion within the talent acquisition strategy, basically. So... We, we decided we'd, you know, uh, kick a few questions around and, and try and put something together here that was of interest to, to people. And I think we've, I think we're going to do that, James. I'm confident, quietly confident. Well, I, I hope so. Fingers crossed. <laughs> we'll see how we go. Exactly, exactly. So diving straight in, moving, I mean, start off with a real, real easy one. I mean, what, what do you think diversity and inclusion now means at a, an organisational level? Hmm. And, and I think it's a, it, it's a great question because inclusion and diversity, as we reference it in, in, Kimberly Clark or, or diversity and inclusion, people use it quite a lot as a phrase. And actually, when you ask them, what, what do you think it means? It, it can become a little bit blurred. Um, and the way I try to break it down, I, I read a very good description once, and it's a little bit simplistic, um, but at a high level, I think it works, is that diversity really is the, the talent acquisition area of focus. It's the opportunity to identify a diverse pool of talent and opening doors to, to uh, groups that may historically have been underrepresented um, and the ability to identify those people and then take them through a fair and consistent process um, to develop a less homogenous organisation, a more diverse team, 
there's a lot of data that shows how diverse teams drive better performance. So having a diverse team means um, you know, more profitable organizations in theory. So there's an economic as well as a moral argument, I think, for, for increasing diversity. So if you think of it at that level, the diversity is the ability to identify, attract, and hire diverse talent. The inclusion piece is really, once the people are here, how do you create an inclusive environment where all talent, irrespective of background, gender, ethnicity, race, whatever it may be, feels valued, feels welcomed, and feel that they have an equal voice um, at the table. So I think you can infuse inclusion within your talent acquisition operations. Um, and that may be um, what you're representing out through social media, what you, information you have on your corporate website, your recruitment website. Um, if you like the employer branding aspect, um, so you can demonstrate and represent that you have a, an inclusive organization. Um, and then really that's the, the inclusion piece is the, the follow-up, if you like, what happens when people are actually here. Um, and again, when we talk about diversity, a lot of people I think um, think maybe gender diversity to a classic scenario and a very, very important topic. At the same time, I think it's also appropriate to, to recognize that there is diversity within diversity, if you like. So you're looking not just not just gender, but ethnicity, race, sexual orientation, um, and also diversity of background and diversity of thought. And those are perhaps less recognized areas. You know, um, people with disabilities, there are so many different um, areas of, of, if you like, untapped talent, um, and so many different areas of diversity itself. And it's very important, I think, for an organization to, to understand that and then identify what is important to them. No, well said. I, I, as you say, it's it's a very, very broad topic and it is important to divide the two out because I, I think we've seen a lot of organisations are tackling, let's say, the diversity piece within talent acquisition and putting in processes and I don't want to sound too cynical, but perhaps some tick box exercises. But the inclusion piece is is the long game, isn't it? I know there's an awful lot to do and needs constant reviewing. And I think that's where the organizations this year I've been speaking to are feeling the pressure of how, how they up their game in that space and and really mm. that was what I wanted to ask you is how how do you feel inclusion and diversity have influenced the, the talent acquisition strategy for yourself you know and, and, and the organizations you're working in mm. again really important question and you highlight a really good point that um one of the diversity and inclusion it, it um brings with it risks um, people, I think, are nervous sometimes around tackling mm. some of these topics, not from a want of um, or a desire to not to get involved, more worrying about, well, how do we go about it? It's such a big topic, and I don't want to say the wrong thing, and I don't want to do the wrong thing, and, and could this be counterproductive? Mm. And I think that's all perfectly understandable, and, and um, I think it's for talent acquisition leaders, HR leaders, and other people to help people along that journey and help them to feel comfortable engaging on this topic. And I think that's why we try to, to break it down to help people understand what does it mean? How can they play their role? Break it down, if, if you like, into bite-sized chunks for each of the, the pieces so it feels much more manageable. And I think 
going back to, to what you just said, one of the biggest risks is creating the, the culture of um, tokenism. Yeah. And there is a, um, I think there are a lot of people who feel that um, what diversity means to them is I'm being told by an HR function who to hire. I'm being told I have to hire people from this demographic or this gender or this ethnicity. And I'm actually being restricted in my talent pool. Um, and, and it's around hitting numbers. I think that's a very damaging situation if, if that is the prevailing view of an organization um, or if th those are the, the feelings that people have. Um, and it can be incredibly counterproductive because if you have somebody who you identifying as diverse on your shortlist, they may well be by far the strongest candidate. But if the managers or, or whoever it may be have the perception that this person is on the list to make the numbers, they may have already prejudged that individual before they exactly. got into the, the process. So I think it's important to, to talk these things through and to recognize and, and understand why people feel that way and help people to recognize that actually it's, it's entirely the opposite. We're not trying to close doors here and, and, and try and get people to hire from certain groups. This is around opening doors it's around opening up opportunities to talent pools if you like of areas that have historically been underrepresented whether that's unconsciously or consciously uh, and again whether that's women whether that's people of certain ethnicities and races who have been you know historically underrepresented um who have felt you know restricted or emasculated in some way shape or form and i think what a creating a, a, an understanding from everybody that what we're doing here is opening, we're broadening our talent pool. And by, by doing that, we could and we should find even better talent. And if we then take those people through a fair and consistent process, and we're able to identify the different areas, the different sort of bite-sized chunks, if you like, of each step of the process to make sure that that is fair, consistent, and inclusive, we're creating the environment where those people can then uh, perform to the best of their abilities in the selection process. And then we identify the very best talent. And then we infuse that talent into the organization. And then by making sure that we also have an inclusive culture where they feel valued, welcomed and equal, then that is gonna drive the business for the better. I think it's really, really important that those conversations are had with the business. Um, and, and that we try to break down some of those concerns and questions and, and worries, which are, I think, again, completely understandable. No, I agree. And it's, I think we, we have seen lots of positive movement in direction in that direction, but, but you're right to, to, to identify that there, there has been pushback from certain managers who aren't comfortable with the process. I think perhaps organisations haven't presented it well to the staff, you know, haven't rolled it out in, in the best way and, it, and it's been seen as negative. And, and as you say, it's taken on a slightly tokenistic piece. And we've talked about the impact of diversity and inclusion. And in one of our earlier conversations, we, we, you, you said there is a, a need for leaders to have that diversity of thought as well as diversity of background. So what, what does that, I suppose, what does that mean as, as a starting point? Mm. It's, a, it's a great question. And I think that for me, what it means is um, most businesses and, and a lot of managers traditionally look to hire from their own, um, their own sector, their own industry, 
and they often look to hire what they define and what they feel the business defines as the very best talent. Um, and all of that is perfectly understandable. And again, we have the, the balance between, and a lot of managers in, in any commercial organization, you know, they're focused on hitting their targets, hitting their numbers, and they understandably want to ensure that the person who's coming in can drive instant results and can move things forward in the right direction. Of course. And so there's a, there's a balance between making sure that the individual can do that and also making sure that what is right for the company is also right for the individual. And so this is where um, we kind of use the, the phrase plug and play. And, and managers will think that what good looks like for them completely understandably is plug and play. So I'll hire somebody from a key competitor who can kind of come in and hit the ground running, do the job, plug them in, off they go. and, and Great. Completely understandable. Mm. And at the same time, what is right for the organization may not be right for the individual, and they therefore may not actually be able to identify that talent. Because in effect, what you're asking somebody to do is to take a sideways move. Right? You can, if, if I can do the role and do it standing on my head, what's in it for me as an individual? Where's the stretch? Where's the growth for me? And if I take my own personal example, the move from insurance and financial services into the FMCG sector. Mm. You know, I was very fortunate and privileged that, that Kimberly Clark took that opportunity to bring somebody with a different sector background and saw the benefit uh, of having somebody with that thinking coming in and, and applying that within a, an FMCG organization. And, and I'd like to think that I brought some of that and infused a slightly fresh perspective in certain areas. Mm. And that's brought benefit to the business. I mean, you need to ask the business. They might entirely disagree. I hope they do. I've heard um, nothing yet. But again, I think that's, it, it's, I, you know, I was fortunate that I was afforded that opportunity and I saw that development stretch as a real positive. It was a real interest to me to gain a, a different industry sector experience, to broaden my, my knowledge. And most um, candidates will want to do that. They will want to have a role that, where they can hit a lot of the role already um, and they also have an area of growth and development. Um, if we didn't have any development, I would still be in the first job I started and we all would, and nobody would ever grow and progress. So I think it's about us helping managers to understand the benefit of what we call higher, a higher to grow strategy, which is moving away from looking at development stretches for candidates as weaknesses or negatives through the selection process and embracing them as opportunities for growth and for development, and also an opportunity to infuse fresh thinking, diverse talent, whether that be somebody from a different industry background, bringing somebody in with a different um, ethnicity, race, into a team that's maybe a little bit homogenous. Um, again, very important to make sure you get the inclusion piece right as well once those people are in the business. And it's around helping uh, managers to understand the long-term benefit of, of doing that. I often, um, one of my favorite films, Jerry Maguire, um, great film, love it. Um, I realized this morning, I was thinking about it, it's almost a quarter of a century old now, that film, which, which really ages me. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, ouch. I still think of it as quite a new film, which just shows. Um, there's a lovely scene where Jerry is talking to, Jerry Maguire, the sports agent, is talking to his client, Rod Tidwell, the American footballer. And he's imploring him 
to sort of behave in a way that really helps move things forward. He's not playing the game, if you like. And he sort of says to, to Roy, says, you know, help me help you. And I, I often think of, of Tannic position, maybe even HR, as, as the Jerry character, if you like. And the, the hiring manager community is, is the client, the Rod Tidwell. Your managers don't necessarily live in our world. They don't understand that world. We may not fully understand theirs. And it's about helping them to understand the, the benefits that our thinking can, can bring and, and this approach can bring to them. As opposed to them being you know, told, right, you must do this, you must do that, which comes back to that, the risk of tokenism and, and counterproductivity we touched on earlier. So helping managers understand that actually bringing somebody in with that fresh thinking can move things forward in a positive direction and can actually improve their team is, is really, really critical. And equally, I think a lot of managers, when they think about hire, a hire to grow, they worry that they're going to have to spend a lot of time with that individual on a one-on-one basis, you know, showing them the ropes, showing them exactly what to do. And it's a common lament uh, throughout my entire history within talent acquisition. I don't have the time to, to develop. I don't have the time to invest, to train them. I, I need to focus on the rest of my team. I need to hit my numbers. And again, that's a, a completely understandable sentiment. What tends to happen if you go through um, a diverse uh, selection process, you identify diverse talent, and you hire the very best person, if, you've got, if they've got the right mindset, then rather than having to spend time with like a team leader, you know, press F5, press enter, press F6, you know, really having to do that one-on-one time, mm. what tends to happen is that the person embraces that development and then comes to the manager saying, you know, this is the situation, this is what I'm thinking of doing, am I on the right track, any guidance? And then the role of the manager is much more around a mentor or, or coach, if you like, and a guider. Um, and again, that inf- infusion of fresh thinking may well take the organization um, to an even better place. So it's helping managers understand those elements, I think, is, is really, really critical to the success of a, of a proper diversity and inclusion strategy. No, well said. And as you say, I think, I mean, you, you position it in a way that I don't think anyone would challenge it. You know, it's, it, it is obvious sense and it, it will well increase employee engagement it will certainly increase retention and means the hiring manager isn't back in the same spot six months 18 months mm-hmm. down the line it's it's just getting it into the business isn't it and i think that's the yeah that's the challenge. um you tend to find with the, the plug and play people they're, they're very much at the top end of your salary scale you don't have much stretch was mm. and as you rightly say they're probably going to be knocking on the door in six to nine months saying okay what's next exactly. um and, and again i think people often when they are they're hiring a replacement they tend to want to find the same level of experience as the person who's leaving, rather than where that person was two to three years ago. And so, you know, sometimes the people, the reason that person is, is leaving or being promoted is because they've reached the end of that, the journey in that role and they've, they're moving on to their next challenge. Hmm. So why would you hire somebody who's yeah. at, at the same level? Because you're going to find that same issue. So bring somebody in, Earlier in the development stretch, mm. you hits that sort of 70 to 80 percent of the role mm. already and embrace that 20 to 30 percent of the development stretch as an opportunity. That's their growth mm. within the role. That's the hook for them as an individual. And by mm. doing that, you bring in somebody who's engaged, wants to, to learn and grow. 
um, brings that fresh thinking and drives things forward in a, in a positive direction. Exactly. And whilst broadening that, that diversity piece rather than just bringing in the same, which is yeah, a, you know, an important factor. So it, it, you mentioned earlier, it, it is an area that not everyone's comfortable in. Everyone's, I think people are more worried they're going to make a mistake or say the, say mm. the wrong thing, even just in terms of language that's used. So how, how do we break inclusion and diversity into more manageable chunks? You know, how do we mm. make people more comfortable in this d- delicate area? Yeah. Really, really important topic. A great question, and absolutely right. And and um, what diversity means to um, every company, every region, every country, every business unit can often be be different. Um, and if you take the example of the, I think the former chairman of the FA when he was on a select committee call yes. with with the uh, House of Commons, um, he used the phrase uh, "people of colour." And uh, I mean, social media isn't always the best barometer of, of nuanced thought, but he was roundly criticised on social media for a phrase that certainly in the UK is, is seen as pejorative. In North America, it is the accepted and the, the used phrase and the used definition. So that gives you some example of where you, you know, people are understandably a little bit nervous, treading carefully. And I think that what I've discovered, um, you know, and I'm I'm a some somebody who I would define as, you know, I've, I'm very fortunate. I've, I've experienced white privilege through my life, and so one of my questions at the time was, well, what value do I bring as a as a white privileged male to inclusion diversity? Um, you know, what what can I do? This is the domain of of other people. And that's, uh, again, a natural thought that a lot of people have and an understandable thought. Mm. And rather than criticising that thinking or, or, or nothing, it's about recognising it and bringing people in and, and helping them understand that actually their voice is valuable and they can be an ally and they can help shape that change. Um, because what I've discovered is that people embrace uh, a desire to do the right thing and they will recognise and, and accept if an error is made in good faith, you, know, you use the wrong phrase or whatever it might be, mm. if it is well-intentioned and the dialogue is open and transparent, you can point people back in the right direction. No offence is taken. Um, actually, a recognition that you're looking to do the right thing and embrace and drive things forward in the right way is, is, is welcomed, and it's welcomed warmly. Um, so I think it's helping people understand that it's okay to be a little bit nervous and, and, you know, be comfortable taking smart risks, if you like, to, and, and to, to get out, be comfortable being uncomfortable, having these conversations that may feel awkward. And actually what you'll discover is that people are very much um, they're delighted that you're embracing that and driving things forward. In terms of the bite-sized chunks piece, that's also really important because it can be seen as, as a really broad topic um how do we tackle this oh my goodness it's such a big thing i know it has to be done but how do we do it yeah, where do we start mm. where do we start absolutely and if we look from a talent acquisition perspective and we come back to the the, the element I, you know there's no there's no magic formula there's no silver bullet that, that will you know convert everything and so what what we've looked to do is take each stage of the process and think about how can we do that 
in a fair, consistent manner and in a way that embraces and encourages diversity. So um, if I look at it from a, a recruitment standpoint, it's around opening the discussions in the engagement meetings with the hiring managers at the point of um, that the, the opportunity has become available. Discussing those options, you know, infusing the ideas of diverse talent, diversity of thought background, trying to steer people away from, not away from, but away from simply thinking of one fishing from one port, helping them to, so, so we're not trying to cut that talent off. It's around thinking, okay, and we could also add here, here, and here. And then when you look then at, for example, you know, the next step is probably to advertise the role. How do you advertise it in a way that encourages diversity of applications? Mm. Um, if we take a very well-known example, the longer a job advert, the more you will put women off apply is one example. Data, and there's a lot of data around this, indicates that uh, women, and it could be for a number of different reasons, probably most likely because of the way society has operated and the work environment has created glass ceilings historically, mm. um, they tend to want to hit 90 to 100% of a job advert in their mind that they can do before they will apply. Men, it's anything between 40 to 60%. Yeah. So by definition, the longer an advert, the more accountabilities and experiences you list, mm. the less likely it is you are to identify gender diverse talent. So you're already excluding people, probably subconsciously, unconsciously, mm. through the first point that you hit the market. Exactly. Um, and then, so if you're able to embrace you know, shorter, more concise job adverts that really can then appeal to the market and represent you as an employer of choice, and then you know, what's the selection process? Like how are we identifying, how are we shortlisting for those roles? How are we representing those people to the hiring manager and then when we go through the selection process again do all of that great work but if you then have four men four white men in an interview panel you, you are more likely to hire a white male mm. because people do tend to hire in their own shadow and based aspects on their own experience of course um, and, and again it's natural to have those those biases so it's helping people recognize those create a situation where you have a diverse interview panel. And then when it comes to the decision, the hiring manager, the, the most senior people would speak last and allow everybody else who's been on that interview panel to speak up. And we encourage managers to, to make sure that they're thinking and, and listening to the feedback, factoring that into their decision before the decision is made. So I think it's about looking at each step of the process, trying to make it as fair, consistent, and diverse as it possibly can be to create the opportunities for all and then you move to, to the I if you like that inclusion piece to make sure that you know people are included and, and then that leads to the retention and development aspect as well. Definitely and as you say it's, it's, it's important just to, to start and, and some of the some of the things we have been doing right I mean competency-based interviewing is you know it's still mm. rightly or wrongly not everyone agrees but it it, it is pretty inclusive do you know what I mean? As, as a concept, mm. rather than, as you say, two, two people of a similar background sitting down and having an informal chat about things they have in common, which yeah. is, is far from inclusive. And yet still how, I mean, particularly sometimes in my industry, how an awful lot of people get hired. Mm. I, I, mean, I agree. I mean, I, 
put no names, but the, the first time I, I joined the recruitment sector, the first thing the person who picked up the phone commented on was that I was a member of a cricket club, and so were they, and they love cricket. That was the opening conversation. And people tend to hire people because they like them. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I've, I've noticed through my, you know, when I was looking at graduate recruitment, um, when I was in the insurance area, my natural, when I saw somebody from my own university, I was like, yeah. oh, somebody from my own <laughs> yeah. university. I had to stop, I had to check myself and go, right, you mustn't judge that person mm. based on that. You have to look at the criteria. So it's perfectly natural. We lean towards people like that. We, yeah. we, look, we look, as humans, we look for connections. And so understanding that, embracing that, recognizing that, and challenging yourself in a positive way to make sure that you're um, not allowing that unconscious bias to, to factor into your decision is, is really of critical importance. And um, if we take the example of competency-based interviewing, it's really important that when we look back and we assess the performance, we base it on the information that's in front of us, not maybe so much the way it was delivered or um, the relationship we built with the person, the rapport we build. You will like the person based on their ability to do their job. And often that can get missed if we're not looking at the the competency information and the facts in front of us because naturally we look at the the external factors if you like the um you know did they build rapport do we do we connect with them and it's so important to connect with the content of the interview not necessarily the the external factors that surround it completely agree so oh, and you you touched on um, graduate recruitment and early years there, and that's hmm. I suppose that we, weaves nicely into the long-term benefits of inclusion and diversity on organisations. So, what? Uh, tell me a bit more about that. What's your thinking there? Hmm. Yes, uh, I, we touched on this a little bit earlier that um, you people worry that it's about quotas and hitting numbers, and actually, if you create that culture, you know, you may well have a yo-yo effect because as a business, that's a short-term thinking raise the, the number of people from this background, this ethnicity, this race, this gender, et cetera, to, to try to hit the numbers is, is um, to an extent laudable what could be very counterproductive and, and as a short-term thinking. And again, you, you know, five years time, you'd be back, oh, hang on, what happened? Um, so I think it's, it is important to, to focus on a short, medium and long-term strategy. If I look back to, um, my time in the insurance industry, in working in the London market, you know, you had decades, in fact, centuries of male, predominantly white male dominated environment. So you're not going to break that cycle overnight. And if you are looking for experienced hires, a much higher percentage of them will be white males because that historically is how that industry has, has been for, for many, many years. So in that scenario, it's, it's absolutely right and important to try to identify the diverse talent at all levels. Equally, it's important to recognize that success may be a 20 to 30 year process to, to have a fully inclusive industry and environment. So that might mean that there's a focus on, from a, a, the long-term strategy, the focus, if you like, on your graduate, your apprenticeship programs, you know, trying to work with um, 
uh, maybe a not-for-profit organization or even a profitable organization that helps people from certain backgrounds, ethnicities, race, genders, whatever it might be, that you feel is, is the right area for your industry, your business to drive things forward. Um, and then again, once you've done that, it's then around the inclusion bit. How do you then make those people feel comfortable, give them a voice, make them feel equal, and you assess them equally and you give them the opportunity to progress and, and be retained and grow. And you know, in 20 to 30 years' time, theory, if you do that for your programs each and every year, as well as looking at each vacancy as an opportunity to identify diverse talent, then that's how you can create a sort of a short, medium and long-term strategy that really brings long-term meaningful change. Exactly. It's, and you said the important thing there, nothing changes overnight, and especially in this space. And, and as you say, it's important to think on that, on that long-term basis, but act now to, to secure that future diverse yeah, talent and, and brand as a business, really. It, it can feel, I think when you're in, um, involved in something like this, um, I, I equate it to, um, I mean, my wife and I are fortunate, blessed, we have two children. Um, and when you spend and you see them every day, you don't notice their change or their growth. It's sometimes it's only when you look back at photos from a holiday or something from two to three years ago, or even 12 months ago, you go, oh my goodness, they've, they've changed. Because you're in it every day, you don't necessarily recognise. Exactly. I think it's very important for organisations to, to not to look at pictures of my kids, but to, to look at it, you know, okay, this is where we were 12 months ago. We have progressed. We have moved forward. Exactly. It doesn't always feel like it when you're in it day to day and it's, it's churning and, and, and you have challenges and bumps along the way as an organisation. Everybody does. Hmm. Um, if you can look back and go, right, two years ago we were here, or 18 months ago we were here, 12 months ago we were here. Um, you know, and, and how can we do it even better? You're getting up every day and thinking, right, how can I be even better? Mm. How can we make that and, and be involved in that change? In two, three, five years' time, you should be looking back going, wow. You know, never, never fully satisfied with where you've got to. And hopefully at the same time proud of where you have come from and got to and look to continue that journey. Um, it's the old... Chinese proverb, isn't it? You know, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Mm. And if everybody is taking those steps every day, that's a heck of a lot of the journey. Exactly. Very well said. So it would be wrong in some ways not to bring up the pandemic and, and, and COVID-19 as it, it has obviously affected us all personally and professionally so much over the last 12 months. Mm. Um, to timestamp this podcast, we, we found out yesterday that in a week's time, the next roadmap uh, milestone has been reached, and we're—I mean, I don't know that we'll be hugging James, but you know, we can we can wave at each other from the established meter and uh, you know continue our relationship. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of um, the impact of of COVID on diversity and inclusion specifically, mm. we, we discussed this before. I mean, have there been pros alongside the many obvious cons, if you know what I mean? Mm. Again, I think really important question and a very good question. And, you know, I think I'm probably experiencing here what some people experience when they're talking around diversity and inclusion. But there is a nervousness around saying the wrong thing because it's such an emotional um, situation. People have gone through so much. 
um, not just here in the UK, but globally. Um, and I think it's very, very important to, to recognize that. Um, and, and, you know, what we talk about here isn't necessarily, you know, demeaning that in any way, shape or form. Um, I think if we look at it from a societal and an economic perspective, um, there is data that suggests, and very strong data, certainly within the UK, um, and as far as I understand from speaking to colleagues, it is replicated elsewhere that um, with the impact on the economy and on employment, that women have been impacted far more through the uh, situation with COVID-19 than, mm. than men have overall. So that's an example where, um, again, I'm sure unconsciously, um, but it has fortunately impacted one demographic more than another and that's an example of, of again how far we still have to go with these mm. all of this these are very very difficult decisions for companies for governments for, for human beings and very important to recognize that where i think it has um created future opportunities and a greater understanding is in the flexibility of work and how we work um, and we'll yeah, I think we have all been on Zoom calls, meetings, or Teams meetings, whatever technology, where you know a, a child has walked into the room, or the doors, the doorbell's gone, and you know the Amazon delivery man's there, or something, whatever it might be, or woman. Um, it, it's you know, and, and I think actually we've embraced those, and, and it's created, in some ways, it's brought people closer together because we've recognised the human element of work. Definitely. I think when everyone's in an office. Um, it can create, you know, you put your work mask on a little bit. And I think everybody, to a greater or lesser extent, does that. And I think everybody still does that when they're working from home. Um, I, think, I think people's barriers have dropped a little bit with these pieces. And, and I think it's created some positivity in terms of bringing remote teams together. And it's helped businesses understand that work can be done remotely. Um, now, what good looks like for different organizations, again, within different countries, different departments, different demographics, will be very different. Um, and actually, if you create a rule of flexibility, you're then giving people no flexibility. It's a very strange sort of strange one going forward. Um, but I think there are opportunities to, I mean, if you look at talent acquisition, I think a lot of organizations would have shied away from um, video-based interviewing, for example. Yes. And actually, the, the pandemic has, for some organisations, almost you know, forced their hand towards that. And people have seen that it can be done. And you can also onboard people remotely. Um, you know, humans are very resilient and, and adaptive. Um, and at the same time, maybe they have a natural unwillingness to, to change. And what this has done is it's created an environment where they've had to change. And I think in some scenarios, that, that benefit has been seen. I hope that going forward, uh, organisations can embrace that opportunity and, and use it as a springboard for, okay, well, now we can do this. How, how can we do this rather than should we do this or, or why should we do this? It's how can we do this? How can we create uh, environments where we can maybe hire people with disabilities who can't come into an office? Um, yeah, we've seen that we can set people up remotely. Yeah, can we can we do that safely? Can we um, bring people in that we may have previously unconsciously excluded? Can we have more um, working parents 
um, you know, working you know, uh, more flexible hours. Um, that's not just working parents, but just generally. You know, yeah. People Anyone want to flex their hours. How can they do that? And putting trust in the individuals that they will behave responsibly and professionally. Um, so I hope it will be a springboard for many organisations to, to work on that. Um, I expect that it will be. I expect there will also be, again, understandably, maybe the pendulum will swing the other way. So when people can get back into the office, there will be some business areas, you know, maybe a reversion to some of the more traditional thinking. Well, now people can get back in the office. We want them back in the office. And it's really important. Yeah. And again, I understand that. Um, it, it's an understandable sort of chain of thought. And at the same time, there will be some people who may not want to do that, who may not be able to do that. Um, and I think the businesses that are the most successful will be the ones that recognize the, the positive aspects of flexible working, remote working and other aspects and use that to create the right inclusive culture. Um, I would hazard a guess that those that revert to very much traditional thinking and, and will want people in the office five days a week and will want to be doing you know, things just as exactly as we did before may well find it harder to identify the very best identify and retain the very best talent i agree i think attract retain and 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 grow that diversity at the end of the day mm. it's it's as you say with it one thing that you've mentioned you know is an un, perhaps an unexpected positive side effect of covid as you say it, it adds so many people to your talent pool if you are mm. in the market to to grow your team or, or whatever it is, you know, staff up to support a new product, whatever, um, and by not taking advantage of that, I I, I think is short sighted, even in the most traditional of um, office based professionals. But but we will see. You're right. Mm. Absolutely, um, and I think it's um, you know, as I said before, I think it's understandable that that the pendulum might shift back, and there will be some industries where. You know, again, going back to the London market insurance, that, that is very much a relationship-based um, approach. So I would imagine that a, a large number of um, you know, brokers, underwriters and things like that will, will be embracing the opportunity to be back and, and having that engagement, the personal contact, the, um, and, the, and nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Um, and there will be other sectors or even areas within certain industries that that could flourish more by embracing a more flexible approach. And I think it's important to recognize that there's room for both. Um, there's no right or wrong answer, um, but embracing those opportunities should um, give you the, the best platform to, to hire and retain the, the very best talent for your organization. Thanks, James. So um, on, a, on a very practical level, I mean, you know, you, you, you've got some great experience in this field. I mean, what, what recommendations would you offer organizations that are at that point now where they, they recognize they need to do a lot more, they want to overhaul, as it were, their, their inclusion and their diversity offering? You know, what, what, what are the top tips for where they'd, they'd start if they're not 100% confident in, the, in what is, we've agreed, a tricky area? Mm. So I think first things first is, as an organization, what are you wanting to achieve and why? What is important to you and why? Assessing that, understanding that. And again, that will be different. You know, we're a global FMCG, you know, operating in multiple territories, all of which will have different definitions of that. Um, so what good looks like for each organization is 
is different. Once you've identified that, I think it's around breaking it into those bite-sized chunks. So try and keep it simple and high level to start with. What is your diversity strategy and what is your inclusion strategy? And then looking at those, each element from a talent acquisition perspective, how can we take the right steps at this stage, at this stage, at this stage, at this stage? And I think a lot of people think, as, as we touched on earlier, see this as a, an area of, of nervousness. On the flip side, what a, what a privilege, what an opportunity to be the person and be part of that change, be, be part of an organization that is opening previously unopened doors, that is opening up potential talent that may never have been looked at within that industry sector before or may have been um, you know, maligned or, or underrepresented. Yeah, that's a fantastic opportunity um, and, and a great responsibility for, if you like, for, for talent acquisition and others, um, you know, the hiring managers, other partners to embrace that. Um, I, I, I think flip that nervousness on, on its head and think of it as the opportunity. Um, and then remind yourself that what good looks like is going to be different. These things do take time. Um, make sure that you're looking back and recognizing where you've come from as well. Um, and then I think it's around, I say, don't forget the I. A talent acquisition perspective and, and a business perspective you can identify that great diverse talent. You can bring people in. If you don't at the same time drive an inclusive culture and create an environment where people have a voice, it's not just about giving people a seat at the table, it's giving them a voice at that table and an equal voice at that table. If you're able to do that, then you will retain and develop. And then it becomes a positive cycle because your employees will be your ambassadors. You know, each step and each opportunity on the market, you're a brand ambassador for your organization. So how do you embrace that? And then you know, reputationally, if as an organization, then you will gain a reputation in your industry sector and more broadly as being a company with a great culture, with an inclusive environment where people are treated correctly. And then it, you, you become a talent magnet. And you know what a fantastic platform to have. And from a talent acquisition perspective, by focusing on that diversity aspect and also helping the business to understand both the diversity and the inclusion elements, you could be part of real meaningful long-term change. And I think everybody, if you ask them, do you want to be part of that? Um, you know, 99.9% .9 of people say, absolutely, yes, please. So if you think of it in that way, I think that's a really helpful way to sort of look at it and, and can really start to, to engage people on the topic. But break it down into bite-sized chunks, make it manageable. Um, and, and again, recognize that, you know, that, that journey of a thousand miles, if you like. Um, I think those are my kind of top tips um, and, and recognize you'll have bumps along the way. Um, nothing is ever perfect, but overall, if you're able to do all that and bring people on the journey, that helped me help you help managers understand, help people understand the benefit. So you, you avoid that tokenism risk, help them to embrace it. Then you're really on the way to success. Oh, definitely. Hey, it's really good to hear from you. And it's great to hear that, you know, with 
your experience, you know, what you're what you've been doing there at Kimberly Clark is providing such a, a positive working environment, is is opening the doors to diversity and as you say, I'm sure creating great employee engagement and you know continuing to support what is a you know a very successful brand and uh, it's obviously been a great career challenge for you as you say moving out of financial services insurance into a new area. I was I remember when you got the job and I was like ah oh, this is this is new James you know mm. not, not perhaps expected and uh, it's been great to keep in touch with you throughout your your career journey and uh, and hear about the you know the more enjoyable yet, yet key parts of of your role now which uh, i think sounds you. like it's yeah really well. no, it's, it's been great and yes I, I i'm sure many people when they saw that move said oh yeah that's unexpected um and certainly not one that i've regretted for for a moment um very fortunate to, to work here genuinely terrific company um you know great sort of um set of values and, and behaviors that we really, uh, i think really speak to inclusion and diversity as well um, so it's been a great platform to to start and grow from for for these areas. Uh, and so, um, yeah, thank you, thank you for the opportunity to talk this through. I hope this is of, yeah, even if we are able to help one person through this to to think about starting something, then we'll hopefully see that as a success. Um, you know, if people want to, you know, pick my brains for for what it's worth on this. You know, um, you know, please know that they can do that. Be very Perfect. It's best to reach out on LinkedIn, probably, is, the, is a great way to, to find you, yeah, I imagine. Absolutely. Um, and I think it, it's important that as a, as a talent acquisition, if you look at talent acquisition as an industry, that we support each other to help and, and learn off each other um, to move things forward in the right direction. Uh, and I'm keen to hear from other people who have worked on this. There will be things that they have done that I'm sure I and we have not even thought of. Um, you know, I touched on it earlier. Um, you know, it's continuous improvement. If you're doing something great, do it even greater. If you, you know, you're brilliant, be outstanding. So always looking for those. You're always looking for how we can be even better. So would welcome feedback, thoughts, uh, ideas from others, and I'm very happy to share our, you know, share mine with, with them as well. That's great. Well, hey, thanks, James. I really appreciate the, the the time you've given me today. It's lovely to catch up with you. Likewise. And, um, Thank you. you know, I wish you uh, ongoing success as the weather starts to get a bit nicer. I can I can hear summer coming just about. <laughs> yeah, I started sneezing more with the hay fever, so that's a good idea. Yeah, it's <laughs> terrible, isn't it? This year particularly. But hey, look, thanks, pardon me. Thanks again, and uh, we'll catch up. Thank you, Simon. Much appreciated. Take care. Thank you. And there you have it. Thanks for listening or watching Series 2, Episode 5 of Talk HR UK. Thanks to the awesome James Hubbard for giving up his time and sharing some of his successes at handling diversity and inclusion at Kimberly Clark. Um, all episodes of the Talk HR podcast, and there are quite a few, I think we're getting on for 30 now across the two seasons, are available on the Alexander Lloyd YouTube channel, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts. So please do look us up, write a review, like, share, and subscribe on your favourite platform to receive next week's um, as always, I've been Simon Gear from Alexander Lloyd, the HR recruitment specialists in the southeast, and uh, I look forward to seeing you all and hearing from you next week. Have a great week, HR podcastees. Many thanks.